Makers. 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 A woman's storytelling. A women's storytelling platform. History makers. If I don't finish this race, everybody's going to believe women can't do it. Change makers. Nobody listens to you when you go quietly into the Law night. Lawmakers. Women's rights are human rights once and for Troublemakers. <laughs> there is no woman in the country who we are not trying to reach. These are makers. This is makers. Las primeras. These are makers. This is the makers. This is the Makers Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda McCall, and today we're talking about... If you're wondering why we censored what I just said, it's because today we're talking about censorship. The First Amendment of the United States Constitution protects the right to free speech. It's a concept that was crucial to the foundation and development of our nation. But in the past 50 years, the battleground in the fight to protect free speech has moved away from the House and the Senate and into our schools and libraries. This is something that screenwriter and producer Shonda Rhimes discovered early on. Before Rhimes became one of the most powerful women in Hollywood, writing shows like Grey's Anatomy and Scandal, no big deal, she wanted to be a novelist and spent much of her childhood and adolescence reading novels. I definitely was a big reader. I spent, I would say, most of my childhood reading. And when my mother would send me outside to play, because I was the youngest of six, she wanted everybody outside for a while, I would take a book and tuck it down the back of my pants walk around the house to look like I was playing for a while. And then when my mother wasn't looking, I would climb a tree and finish reading the book. The literature that sort of stuck with me as a child was anything by Judy Bloom, And I really loved Little Women, which I used to read every year until I was about 25, because I thought it was fantastic. Jane Austen, a lot of Toni Morrison, Alice Walker books when I was about 13 or 14. It's hard for me to say I had a favorite author because I really read everything. My parents had this rule, which was that they would never censor anything that I read. So if I could, you know, read the words and I could read the book, which was amazing and also caused many, many fights with the ladies at the public library. Rhymes may have won her childhood fights with local librarians, but many young women in America are still denied access to the books they want to read. And no one knows that better than the following author, someone who's been banned more than nearly any musician, artist or activist, a figure who strikes fear into the hearts of politicians, religious groups, librarians, parents, and school teachers. One of the most controversial and badass women of our time. This is the story of Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom was born in 1938 in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Bloom was creative from the very beginning. I lived inside my head. I had such a rich, imaginative life. I think that is how I became a writer. I'm sure it's how many people become writers. It's the imagination. I had stories in my head all the time. Bloom's mother was a housewife, and her father was a dentist. Bloom and her father were extremely close. My father was a very creative person. They sang songs, wrote poems. I really identified more with my father, wanted to be just like him. He was actually the more nurturing parent. My father told me about menstruation, and he tried to explain to me a lunar cycle, and I had no idea. So I thought when the moon is full, every woman in the world 
has this wonderful thing happening to her. I used to look out at the full moon and think, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I just, I didn't get it. I didn't get it, but he made an effort. He encouraged me that I could reach for the stars. Bloom attended Batten High School in the early 1950s, when girls were encouraged to reach for engagement rings instead of stars. I went to an all-girls public high school. Two of the top girls were pregnant at graduation. And those hasty marriages and having babies that just changed their lives forever. It's not a romantic thing. It's not fun. It's tough. There was nothing you could do about it. I can still remember, as each girl got engaged in my class, many, many before me, sophomore year, they were getting married, they would raise their hands like this so that you could see the diamond. That's what it was about, to meet the guy, to get married, to have babies, to be the president of the PTA. That's where I was in the 50s. I don't know what I was thinking, to tell you the truth. In 1959, when Bloom was a junior in college, her father died suddenly from a heart attack. By her senior year, she was already married and pregnant. I graduated and I hung my diploma and my Founders Day Award for good scholarship over the washing machine. I was at home with two young babies by the time I was 25. I lived on a cul-de-sac in suburban New Jersey, maybe 30 houses. There wasn't one woman, we were all the same age, and there wasn't one woman in any of those houses who worked. Every time the moving truck came to our street, I went out praying this will be it. There'll be a woman, we'll become friends. I felt isolated, lonely. I so longed for connection, and I certainly didn't have it where I was living and the life that I was living. Desperate for any kind of creative outlet, Bloom immersed herself in craft projects for her children. I started to make, this is really silly, pictures out of pieces of felt for children's bedrooms. It was very, very satisfying for a while. When my fingers started to um, peel, you know, from the glue, I bought an electric typewriter. Purchasing a typewriter proved to be a major turning point in Bloom's life, one that transformed her from a crafter into a writer. You get out of bed and you knew that you were going to get the kids off to school and get to have those quiet hours alone in that room with the little $300 typewriter. And I made up rhymes, 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 washing the dinner dishes, rhymes, rhymes, rhymes. And I tried to illustrate them myself with colored pencils and I fastened them together with brass fasteners and I would send them in to publishers. The first few times they were rejected, I would go into my closet and I would cry. But I was a kind of determined person. With every rejection, it was tough. But, I, but, but each time I got a little stronger and I said, well, yeah, okay, that one, but wait till they see the one I'm doing now. In 1969, Bloom published her first children's book entitled, The One in the Middle is a Green Kangaroo. The book was well-received, and Bloom immediately landed another book deal. Suddenly, writing was no longer a housewife hobby for Bloom. It was a career. 
By the early 1970s, the women's movement was starting to spread throughout the country. As Bloom began to embrace her newfound creative freedom, millions of other American women were also awakening to their own independence. I like to say that the women's movement came very late to suburban New Jersey, to my cul-de-sac. And when it did, it helped me find courage to make changes in my own life that I might never have made. I'm a part of the women's movement even if nobody ever knew it but me. Everything changed. Everything that we grew up with, all the values that we grew up with in the 50s. One of those changes was the way Bloom felt about her own marriage. Bloom's husband did not support her new writing career, and they divorced in 1976. I was so alone in my decision to leave my marriage. I wanted more. I was then very adventurous. I wanted freedom. With that freedom came tremendous creative productivity. Over the next decade, Bloom would go on to publish some of the most popular young adult novels of all time, including Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, Blubber, Deanie, Forever, and the book that changed my and many other awkward adolescent girls' lives, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Bloom's books address topics like menstruation, bullying, divorce, sexuality, friendships, family, and body image in a way that no writer had ever done before. She didn't sound like a PSA. She sounded like you, like us. Adolescence can be terrifying for many girls, myself included, and Bloom made millions of us feel like we weren't alone. But not everyone was eager to embrace her honesty. My children were in elementary school, public elementary school then in New Jersey. I gave the school library three copies and the male principal refused to have them on the shelf because he said, girls in this school are not old enough to read about menstruation. Now, how about the fifth and sixth grade girls who had their periods, right? No, he didn't want anybody to be able to read about menstruation. Can you believe menstruation was such a, such a wicked subject? I mean, it, it's hard to believe looking back now. That was the beginning of what could happen if somebody in power didn't think your books were appropriate. They could be taken away. The very authenticity that made Bloom such a hero in the eyes of her readers made her a villain in the eyes of parents, teachers, librarians, and especially religious groups. They wanted this band and that band and this off the shelf. There were pamphlets put out called How to Rid Your Schools and Libraries of Judy Bloom Books. They believed that puberty was a dirty word. Not that it was, you know, natural and normal and every child was going to go through it whether they wanted them to or not. It was, I want to be the one to tell my child, but of course they never did. There was this feeling that if, if my kids don't know about it, my kids won't do it. If my kids don't read about it, they won't know about it and it'll never happen to them. While she is by far one of the most popular authors of all time, selling over 82 million books worldwide, Judy Bloom also remains one of the most controversial authors in America. She's been featured on the American Library Association's Most Challenged Authors list more than any other author. Bloom has become an outspoken leader, fighting on behalf of writers whose work is banned or censored. And that's not only female writers. 
In the past five years, many of the most frequently challenged books in America's schools and libraries include content by or about people of color or in the LGBT community. So this issue is not limited to women. It impacts all of us. Unless, of course, you prefer to read novels that are exclusively about all white dudes. In which case, I totally respect your opinion, but I probably won't be asking to join your book club, no matter how good the snacks are. No matter what the medium, telling the same old white dude story over and over again is, among other things, just downright boring. Diverse perspectives make art and life significantly more interesting. Now, terms like diverse perspectives and inclusivity have become sort of overused buzzwords these days. People love to say these words. They like to talk the talk, but not many people actually walk the walk. Jill Soloway, creator of the groundbreaking series Transparent, the first major television series ever to be centered around a transgender character, is not one of those people. Makers sat down with Jill Soloway for a quick Q&A that we called The Feminist 15. Okay, are you ready, Jill? Okay. Best word to describe you? Hyper. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. A female who inspires you? Mm, a female who inspires me? Alina Dunham. What makes you hopeful? Revolution. What pisses you off? Trump. What's something that you're afraid of? Just like social situations. Love, tenderness, intimacy. If you could be any other woman on earth for one day, who would it be? I think I'd like to be Kim Kardashian. Or maybe Chloe. Maybe be, maybe I'll be Chloe Kardashian. I think I'd be Chloe. Kylie. No, I'd be Kendall. <laughs> All right, I'd be Courtney. Mm, yeah, Courtney's good, I think. What's one thing you wish you did less often? Hmm. Hate myself. <laughs> Favorite thing about your job? I feel very, very lucky that my job is to feel things. I just love, I love coming to work and going down to the set and trying to figure out like the emotional truth of a scene. What's your biggest vice? I do feel like I need to end the day with a sweet. If I haven't had ice cream, I don't feel right. What's the headline you'd most like to see on the cover of tomorrow's New York Times? Patriarchy toppled, matriarchal revolution afoot. <laughs> If you could give your 15-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? It's all going to be great. Have fun. Yeah, stop worrying about whether or not people think you're cute. Complete the following sentence. A woman's place is in the... A woman should be everywhere. So yeah, part of everything. What's something you've never tried but would like to try? That's a good question. I think I'd like to like, live in the woods and chop wood and just kind of be a quiet person for a day or two. If you could change one thing for the next generation of women, what would it be? Change one thing. Well, yeah, women think of themselves as the subject instead of the object. That we are the main syllable, woman. Men are the amended syllable. So instead of like, whoa, man, we'd be like, woman, and they'd be like, not woman. You know, men would be called not woman. So they would have to walk around going, I'm a not woman. <laughs> You don't have to write a successful TV series or a young adult novel to fight censorship and empower underrepresented voices to speak up. It's something we can do every day, whether it's in a classroom or a boardroom or our own living rooms. Now is not the time to be silent. So get out there and share your story and encourage other women to share theirs. Thanks for listening. And to learn more about Shonda Rhimes, Judy Bloom, Jill Soloway, and other brilliant women who don't give up go to makers.com.